Thanks for joining us at Fort William Baptist Church in Thunder Bay, Ontario. We are currently working through the book of 1 Thessalonians. In this book, we see the heart of Paul for God's people. It's a yearning for them to walk in the will of God and have close fellowship with the Spirit. As we delve into this book, we will see Paul's burden that the people find refreshment in the God who loves them, that they would fix their thoughts on God's coming, and that they would live lives that please Him, knowing how to live with and before a holy God. sermon text this morning is from chapter 5. We're looking at verse 13, the very end of it. So last week we started on Paul's conclusion and I described it as a, a shotgun blast. So there isn't a single point in Paul's conclusion, but there is a spray of BBs and it's aimed at the church. And we're focusing in on these commands that Paul concludes his letter with, and so the command we're looking at this morning is in verse 13. And so hear the word of our God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 13. Be at peace among yourselves. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are eager and desirous this morning. We want to see the work of your hands. That's why we have gathered today. We've gathered to, to deal with you and to be in your good presence. We have gathered so that your word might change us. And so we pray, show us the work of your hands. Show us your power and your glory, your mercy and your grace. Be pleased, we ask this morning, to make our hearts obedient to this command we find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 13, that we might be a people at peace and at peace with each other. So grant us obedience now as we take up your word and bless it to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see as we look at chapter 5, verse 13, that Paul lays a demand on us. We must be at peace with one another. And as we think about verse 13, and as we connect it to the rest of the Bible, verse 13 isn't an oddity. This is the command of Scripture, and in fact, it is a command found throughout Scripture. For example, in the book of Romans, Paul twice repeats this command. Romans 12, 18, Paul says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. He goes on a couple chapters later, chapter 14, verse 19, saying, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Paul repeats this theme in the, the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 3, saying, Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The author of Hebrews adds on to this theme, Hebrews 12, 14, saying, Strive for peace with everyone. 
The Apostle Peter joins in in his first epistle. He writes, chapter 3, verse 11, quoting Psalm 34, Let him seek peace and pursue it. Even Jesus speaks on this matter of peace, and this is where I think Paul gets his command. Mark chapter 9, verse 50, Jesus instructs his disciples saying, be at peace with one another. Be at peace with one another. And so if we're listening to the scriptures, peace is something we must have. In fact, peace is something we must pursue. We must strive after it, seeking it as a precious treasure. Peace is something we must chase after, seeking it, running for it as if we were running for a prize. And dare we say we must fight for peace, waging earnest warfare for it, removing every obstacle from before us that we might gain the peace that God requires of us. So we must have peace. That much is clear. We've listened to the scriptures, but we have to think here What is meant by this demand? When Paul comes to us in in verse 13 saying, be at peace among yourselves, what does he mean? What is he looking for among God's people? Well, we can say in the first place that peace involves a cessation of certain activities and attitudes. So think about if two nations are at war and you have the job of bringing peace to them, what would you do? Where would you start? Well, you would start with this, stop shooting at each other. Lay down your your weapons of war, there. Stop the hostility. And so if we are to pursue peace, we must stop all behavior that wrongs or harms our neighbor, those around us. Very practically, we stop lobbing verbal grenades. Very practically, we stop speaking lies. We relax our fists and we, we put down our weapons. And we do this because God has worked a change in us if we are actually seeking peace. What are hostilities bred by? Well, they're bred by anger and bitterness and envy and animosity. All of these things fuel hostilities. And we learn in the scriptures that we cannot have peace and have anger and bitterness and envy and animosity. And so if there is peace, we're laying down our weapons because our hearts are being changed. We're putting away anger from within us. But as we think about it, that is just the first order of of peace. Peace doesn't stop with a mere cessation of activities and attitudes. Peace goes further. It reaches higher. It starts with a new heart, a heart where love and righteousness and joy reign in it. And because of that new heart, peace becomes a productive work. It is not just stop doing something. It actually begins to build and maintain and protect and cooperate and establish harmony between a people In fact, the scriptures give us visions of peace, and perhaps the most compelling vision of peace is found in the prophet Isaiah. He writes of the coming day when God's kingdom will be fully established, and he says this, chapter 11, verses 6 through 9. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And the little child shall lead them, the cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall put his hand on the adder's den, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You want to know what peace is? Isaiah gives us a picture of what the coming peace will be in God's creation. What is Isaiah telling us? He's telling us the hostilities will come to an end. 
There's the wolf, and it's going to stop eating lamb chops. There's the, the lion, and he's going to stop eating steak. And these great predators put a stop to all of this because they've undergone a change. They now eat straw and, and graze as cows in the pasture. In fact, Isaiah tells us that these great predators have become harmless. In, fu- in fact, such is the change, and, and we can't even imagine this in our minds. Isaiah tells us there's going to be a small child, and he's going to be le- leading a, a host of leopards and bears and wolves and lions. And the small child will give his instructions, and these great predators will obey him. I can't even imagine that, but that's the vision of peace that God holds out to us. And Paul is feeding off of that and he comes to us and he makes his demand of God's people, be at peace among yourselves. So it's here, after giving you this description of peace, I want to just stop and I want to, I want to give you a spiritual checkup of sorts. I want to ask, how are you doing with Paul's commands? Are you living at peace? Because we can start with husbands and wives. What is your marriage like? Is your marriage a marriage of peace? Is your marriage absent of hostility, anger, aggression, competition, bitterness? Are there sins unforgiven in your marriage and they're festering away and they're they're robbing and stealing the strength of your marriage bond? Is your marriage a marriage of harmony and joy. Are you at ease? Are you at rest with your spouse, the spouse that God has given you? How are you doing with peace in your marriage? We can stay with the family, and so dads, moms, kids, I ask you, what is life like at home, in in your home? What is it really like? Is there peace there? Are there disputes and rivalries in your home? Is there distance? Is there silence? Is there disaffection in your home? Kids, is there a spirit of grumbling in your heart? Do the commands of your parents and all of the the different chores and responsibilities give you, do they irritate you? When When your parent comes to you and is giving you instructions, does that voice irritate you deep down in your soul? Do you roll your eyes? Do you dismiss the counsel of your parents? Or is your home life marked out with a bond of peace? Is there mutual affection in your home? Is there growing happiness? Is there growing contentedness in your family life? How are you doing with this demand of peace that Paul has given you? We can broaden it out. We can think about life in the church. So Christian, I ask you, what is life like for you in the church? Is there peace for you? What is it like for you to come to church this morning, to gather with your brothers and sisters in Jesus? Do you want to stay away from them? Do you want to remain distant from them? Are you hoping this morning that you will go unnoticed and that you can come in and leave? Do you carry a bitter grudge this morning in your chest and it's even there right now? Or are you apathetic about everyone who is around you? Or by God's grace, are you filled with concern for your brothers and sisters? You are ready, you are eager, you're ready to meet God's people and greet them and be with them and partner with them for the sake of Jesus and his his kingdom. How are you doing with this demand of peace? And to go to the heart of the matter, the most important matter, I ask you this morning, do you have peace with God himself? Do you have peace with God? Are God's commands 
your delight? Is his gospel your hope? Are you at rest with God, not striving against him or turning away from him? Are there matters in your soul, as you think about it this morning, that strike your conscience and separate you from the Lord your God? Do you have close fellowship with your God? Or is he some distant deity to you? You can just let those sink in. That's a lot of questions to think through. We're thinking about marriage and and family. We're thinking about life in the church. We're ultimately thinking about our relationship with the Lord our God. And as we think about all of these questions and they begin to register um, in your hearts and in your minds, I wouldn't be surprised this morning that there is a few of those questions, maybe more, that strike a chord with you. Maybe it's something to do with your marriage or your, or your family or something going on at church. Or maybe something going on with you and the Lord. There is some sort of distance. There isn't this sweet fellowship. But what those questions did is they struck a chord. And because they struck a chord, there is some sort of fresh pain or grief in you because of them. Now we shouldn't be surprised that these questions should strike a chord because we know who we are. When we are left on our own, we cannot have peace. When we're left on our own, bound to our own resources, guided by our own ideas, we can never reach, we can never attain that vision of peace that that Isaiah gives to us in Isaiah chapter 11. In our lives, we create alliances, and we create alliances that work for some time. We create alliances with our, our spouses and our families, sometimes in the church. But these alliances we, we, we connect and, and bring together can never register the harmony or the wholeness of peace found in the kingdom of God. It's like the, it's like the builders of Babel. Here we are. We're just this community come together, and we have this alliance, but it's ultimately not going to last. And so as we think about ourselves, our growth is stunted. You can picture that small, small child who goes into the pantry and, and wants to reach that, that upper shelf, but despite how hard that little child reaches or stretches, cannot reach that upper shelf. That's who we are. We can't reach the heights of peace. We can't reach Isaiah chapter 11. But to make matters worse, it's just not that our growth is stunted, but we are sinners. In fact, we are trained experts in turning the relationships given to us whether at home or in church or in the world, into painful and ugly messes. The Apostle Paul writes this in Titus chapter 3, verse 3. He's giving us a description of our lives in sin, saying this, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Those are Paul's words. That's who you are in sin. And though we might not like the sound of Paul's words, they're jarring to us. They're true, and we have to deal with them. And so we ask Paul, well, how, Paul, did I spend my days in my sin? Well, Paul tells us, you didn't pass them in peace, watching baseball and just snoozing in the backyard, taking a nap. Paul tells us, no, in sin, your favorite pastime is this, malice and envy. That's your mode of operation in sin. And we ask Paul, well, what then is my identity in sin? Who am I in sin? Well, sometimes we like to think that we're virtuous crusaders fighting for what is true and and good and noble. But Paul's words come to us and they strike a blow at our sinful natures. He says this, hated by others and hating one another. Who are you in sin? Well, you're someone who is hated, beaten, and bruised by the malice and envy of others. 
We can borrow the language of our day. In sin, you are a victim. You have been victimized again and again and again. But Paul goes on. You have not just been hated by others, but you have hated one another. Paul wraps up in one package victimhood and oppressor. You are both one and the same person. Paul points the finger at us and saying, you're an oppressor, your envy, your malice. You have hated others. And so Paul is giving us this picture in Titus chapter 3, verse 3. That's the life of sin. That's who we are. We're demolishing peace wherever we go. And as we think about it, the life of sin produces a terrible quality of life. Who wants to live in Titus chapter 3, verse 3? Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But Paul's words are accurate and true because in sin, that's who we are and that's what we do. But here I want to circle back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 13. Paul's command comes to us. He says, be at peace among yourselves. Peacemakers, peace builders, at peace, at rest with those around us. And we ask as God's people, well, how are we to obey this command? And as we have reflected on what Paul has said in Titus chapter 3, verse 3, the answer isn't us. We can't reach the peace that is demanded of us. We can't get to Isaiah chapter 11 in our own strength, our own power. In fact, we are often working against it in our own sin. Well, how do we get there? Well, if it's not us, we must give a gospel answer. The answer is God, God himself. Look at your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Paul begins to speak about God, and this is the title he gives our God. The God of peace. The God of peace. And these four words in chapter 5, verse 23, give us all the clarity we need. Hear this and believe this, Christian. You cannot manufacture peace for yourself. No vacation. It doesn't matter how exotic, no matter how much time you get alone, no matter how many drinks you have, will give you peace. No self-help book. No counseling regime. None of it. Doesn't matter how disciplined you are, will give you peace. Or to think about the great God of our age, the God of money. No amount of it that you get or acquire for yourself even if you don't have to worry about working the rest of your life, will give you peace. That's not how it works. If you're going to have peace, peace at home, peace in your marriage, peace with your children, peace at work, peace in the church, the God of peace has to give you peace and bring his peace to bear upon your heart. That's the only way to get it is to receive it. And we learn about this in the gospel of peace. And I want to sit here for a bit and explain to you the gospel of peace. God gives peace, and we have to ask, well, how does God give us peace? How does he do it? Well, the story starts here. It starts with Adam and Adam's sin. When Adam sinned, it wasn't a tragic oops. It was an act of war. In that deed, when Adam sinned against God, he drafted articles of war, articles of war that we all have participated in against the one and true God. And ever since that day when Adam sinned, all of humanity has been warring and raging against the Lord. But this is where we meet the God of peace. He steps into the story. And as he steps into the story, we have to reckon this. The God of peace could have consigned all of humanity, Adam and his children, you and me, to his wrath. Because that's what we deserve. We deserve to be destroyed for our sin. But God didn't do this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. God determined to take a people for himself. 
Paul writes, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what God did. He didn't consign all of humanity to wrath. He took a people and he determined them for himself, saying, you will not suffer wrath. And certainly as we think about it, God could have shut us out of his glorious reign of, of righteousness and peace and joy. He could have left us, in the, left us lost and in the dark, but again, God didn't do this. Instead, he took a people and he transferred us from the kingdom of darkness and he brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son where righteousness, joy, and peace reign. And as we hear all of this good news, we have to ask, well, how did God do this? Well, God did this through the person and work of his son. Paul tells us this, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For he, Jesus himself, is our peace. And this peace was costly. The scriptures point us to the cost again and again and again. Jesus is our peace because he shed his blood for peace. Colossians 1, 19 and 20, Paul says, For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross in this way this bloody cross is the only path to peace in this act jesus was substituted for the guilty sinner jesus's life for the sinner's life jesus's blood for the sinner's blood the sinner's sinner's punishment placed on jesus's shoulders the sinner's sentence met out on jesus's own head and all of this reaches a glorious conclusion, and Paul states it emphatically in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is telling us, at the cross, God has terminated the war and created peace with the sinner. Paul is telling us that God's wrath was satisfied, and his righteous anger was pacified, and our hostility and our animosity against God was finally reconciled. Paul's telling us the good news of the gospel. But that's not the end of the good news of the gospel. Through faith, we have peace with God. It is our state. It's who we are now. Peace with God. But God has a great bounty, and he does more than just create peace, a state of peace. Through the Spirit's reign, God brings this gift to bear, and he actually incarnates it in his people. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. The Spirit is doing this now among his people, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. What is God doing? Well, through the reign of his Spirit, he is producing peace, peaceable people. And so generous is our God that when we are assaulted with anxiety and trouble, all we need to do upon, all we need to do is cast ourselves upon him. And seek him and search for him, and God will bring peace to his children. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God promises to guard us with his peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. And what do we need to see from the gospel of peace? We need to see this. Peace only comes from God. You cannot manufacture it. You cannot get it for yourself. You can only receive it from God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And what does God do in the gospel? He holds it out to us and he offers it to us again and again and again. He says, here, here is my beloved son. He is your peace. 
because he shed your blood to make peace. And he has acquired the spirit so that the spirit might bring about peace in you and that you might actually become a, a peaceable person. The gospel of peace. Now as we take that all in, that is a pile of theology. It's a glorious theology and it's theology that should warm our hearts. It's all about what our God has done for us. We could never do it ourselves, but God in his mercy and grace has done it for us. But that should leave us still with a question. What are we supposed to do? Just go back to the text with me for a moment. Chapter 5, verse 13. Paul says this, be at peace among yourselves. Basic insight into this command. What is Paul doing? He's commanding us. That means Paul wants us to do something. He wants us to get something done. And that something that he wants done is peace, that we would actually be peaceable. And that there would actually be peace in all the relationships in our life, in our marriages, in our families, in the church, in our workplaces, that we would pursue peace. That's what Paul wants. And so we have to ask, well, how are we supposed to do that? Or to put it another way, God has set his peace before us. He set it before us in his gospel. He set it before us in the person of his son. He has set it before us in the powerful working of his spirit. Now, in light of those gifts, we need to ask as God's people who have received those gifts, how do we put those gifts to work in our lives so that we might obey Paul's command? Well, I want to close with just three directions for you to consider and implement into your life. If you want to have peace in your life, if you want to put to use the gifts that God gives in the gospel, you first need to do this. You need to deal closely with God himself. Here's an illustration to think about. You're invited over to your friend's house. And so you park in the driveway, you're, you're walking up, and your friend meets you outside their house. And, and you can see them, they're frustrated. It's just on their face. You can tell that they're agitated and something is wrong. And so you ask your friend, well, what's wrong? And your friend says, well, let me take you inside. Let me show you what's wrong here. And so they bring you inside, and they, they start to speak to you, and their words just come out with a, a torrent. They say, I have literally tried everything to fix this house up. I've repainted the walls and the ceilings, and I've repainted the walls and the ceilings multiple times. I've vacuumed the floors. I've scrubbed the walls. I've done all of this. I've put up air fresheners. I've opened up the windows. I've bought an air purifier, but nothing I do, I go again and again and again. Nothing I do can fix the stink in this house. Nothing I do can fix the stink in this house. And so there you are, your frustrated friend, agitated, you're receiving all the words, it's like a torrent, and so you start to look around. You look around and you glance up and, and there you see it. You can tell that the ceiling's been painted a few times, but the sheetrock, it, it's crumbling. It's peeling, it, it's falling apart, and from there, there's these dark streaks streaking down the ceiling, and you look at your friend and, and you say, you need to stop painting. You need to stop vacuuming. You need to stop cleaning. You need to fix the leak in your roof. And here's the point of this illustration. Brother, sister, you can try your best to patch up all the relationships in your life, relationships at home, at work, at church, but if you are out of fellowship with God, the God who made you, none of your efforts will bear any fruit. If you don't dig down to the root in your life and obtain peace with God, you will never have true and lasting peace. You will just be like that frustrated friend who keeps painting the walls, who keeps scrubbing the floors, who keeps buying air fresheners, but can never get rid of the stink. 
hear this, you will never get rid of the stink in your life unless you deal closely with God. And so the question is, well, how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you get peace with God? You get peace with God by acting upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you act upon the gospel of Jesus Christ by doing this. You start by confessing your sins to God. It means you come to God and you tell God exactly what you have done, how you have robbed his glory, how you have broken his laws, how you have not thought about him or cared about him, the specific things you have done. You bring your sins to God. That's what you do. It's confession. And after you confess your sins, you begin to plead with God. You plead, and you should plead with God. Now, we have to be careful about how we plead with God. We don't plead our own merit, our own work, our own value. That would be pointless and worthless. No, what do we go to God? We plead the promises of God. Really, we plead Jesus Christ and his shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins. We plead, I know that your son was crucified for sinners, and I take hold of that. Forgive me for Jesus' sake. And after you plead Jesus, you do the work of believing You believe the promises of God. You believe that Jesus himself is your peace because he shed his blood for sinners, for you. So do you want peace with God today? What do you need to do? You need to act upon the gospel of God. And I call you this morning, act upon the gospel of God. You will never have peace in your life unless you do those things. And Christian, here's a word of exhortation for you. This is basic Christianity. But as basic Christianity, we never get to move past. If you want to have peace that lasts in your family, in your marriage, in your home, at church, at work, you need to live in this basic step of the Christian life. You never get to move past it. Day by day, what do you spend your time doing? Well, day by day, you should confess your sins and plead Jesus and believe in the promises of God that Jesus is your peace. And I challenge you this morning to study your own prayer life. Ask yourself, when was the last time I took my sin to God confessing it and pleading and trusting in Jesus? Was it yesterday? Was it last week? Was it last month? Was it even longer than that? Brother, sister, and Jesus, if you want to have peace that lasts in your life, you need to live in this work of confession and pleading trusting. So that's the first direction. You need to deal closely with God. Second direction, if you want peace, you need to subdue your unruly heart. You need to subdue your own heart. Now the temptation, whenever we're in conflict, whenever there isn't peace in our relationships, is to point our finger at someone else. Why am I in this argument? Why am I embroiled in this fight? Why am I just caught up in all of this hurt that I cannot escape? Well, we do this. We start pointing the finger. It is because that guy is so impatient. It's because that woman is so unkind and uncaring. To put it quite frankly, it's because that person is so dumb. That's why I'm here. It's because of them. But as we read the scriptures, God does not let us do this. We don't have peace because of who we are. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, puts the finger at us. James writes, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Listen to James. He doesn't point the finger at everyone else. He points the finger at you. He says, is it not this? Your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. We need to own that. 
when we're caught up in all of these factions and fractures, we need to turn the finger around and point at ourselves. Now, there are two particular matters of the heart that we have to subdue if we're going to have peace, and those are bitterness and envy. Bitterness and envy, above all, wreck peace. So how can you know if you struggle with those? Well, you are likely bitter if you replay conversations in your head. So you lay in bed at night, and there you sit with your head on the pillow. You lay there with your head on the pillow, and you begin to ruminate about those conversations, bringing the same event up in your heart, that same hurt, never moving past it, never letting go of it, never letting forgiveness and grace do its forgetful work in your soul. But you ruminate, and you ruminate, and you ruminate. You do it in your head, and then it starts to come out your mouth, and you, you begin to talk about the same things with those around you. They hear a replay of all the same hurts. If you do those things, you're likely bitter. You are envious if you secretly cheer in your heart for the failure of someone else. So in envy, we want what someone else has. But it's not a simple jealousy where we just want it. We want them not to have it anymore. And so we, we hope and we pray in our heads that that person who has what we want, that they would lose it or that they would be destroyed or some harm would come upon them and they would lose it. And when they do lose it, if they lose it, what do you do? You celebrate in your mind, glad that they finally got what was coming to them. Now, brother, sister, if you want to have peace, you must subdue and banish all envy and all bitterness from your soul. How do you do this? Well, we get some help from the scriptures themselves. We must apply the promises of God to our hearts. So there you are laying in bed, your head is on the pillow, and those ruminating thoughts come. You're starting to get bitter. That temptation is there. The conversation is going on replay. I can't believe what that person said to me. What do you need to do? You need to take the promises of God and smash the bitterness. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Jesus gives us ammunition. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. What happens to your ruminating thoughts? They're destroyed by Jesus' words. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. What do you do when those envious thoughts start harassing you? The temptation is there. You see your brother, you see your sister. They have what, what you want to have. What do you do? Take the promises of God and you smash them. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Paul says this, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with another, live in peace. And hear this, this is a promise. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Believer, do you want to have the God of love and peace with you? Hear this, live in peace. You want envy to leave you? Take that promise and smash envy with it, saying, I want the God of love and peace more than anything else. And Paul's words will help you. So do you want peace in your life? You need to begin by subduing the unruly heart you have, bitterness and envy. And I have one last step for you. Third direction. Take a step of obedience today. Take a step of obedience today. All of us are in different situations this morning. Some of us are in very complicated situations. It's like we're in a tangled ball of yarn. Every direction you go, there's a fractured relationship you have to deal with. Others of us are not in a situation like that. But wherever you are, 
this applies to you. Obedience to God's word starts with taking a single step. You can't resolve all of your broken relationships in one day, not even in a month, probably not even in a year, but you can, by God's grace, start somewhere, and you start by taking a single step. That's what we must do. So that might mean taking some time today to go with your spouse, stealing a few moments with them, and dealing with that sin that has been festering and rotting your relationship confessing it and finding forgiveness. That might mean dealing with your spouse today and talking about that distance that is between, between you and your marriage. That might mean by going to someone in your family today and, and you start talking about that long-standing frustration that there is. Seeking some way to overcome it. It might mean simply today after the service you walk across the sanctuary, you see that brother or sister that you have been distant from, and you offer them a word of affirmation and grace. If you want peace, you need to start by taking a single step, and you need to do it today because God's word is for you today in this moment. Paul commands you. He says, be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. And that's God's word for you today. And let's pray, asking God for help. Oh, Father, we need help. You've exposed our sin this morning. We were once a Titus 3-3 people, being hated and hating one another. That was our lives. But your grace came to us, and you rescued us from that. We praise you for you have canceled our sin in Jesus and we have peace with you in him. But Father, you still know our hearts, how they're bound up with envy and bitterness. You know all the relationships we're in and how there's distance in some of them, how there's open hostility in others. And we ask that your grain of grace and peace would draw near to us. Would you grant us obedience today? Obedience to take a single step. We pray this in Jesus' name, hoping in your help.